This week on The Sport Blokes. This week, Dreamtime at the P is a roaring success while Missy Higgins plays at the SCG. The NBA Conference semi-finals are underway. What were the Serbian women's volleyball team thinking? And we have another chat with NBL legend Alex Loughton. Sure do. Let's go. So it's just after 8.30pm here in Perth on Wednesday, the 9th of June, Shui, and wow, it's been another huge week of sport and sports news with barely enough time to talk about it. As we do at the top every week, what caught your attention and what'd you miss? Well, as you mentioned, there's so much going on. I mean, the, the first thing that caught my attention was the unfortunate situation with John Rahm at the US PGA Memorial. Just finished uh, the third round, I believe it was, with a six-stroke lead and then found out that he tested positive to COVID. So With a purse of over two mil on the line? Yeah, instead of going into the fourth round with a very sizable lead, he unfortunately had to watch from the stands, which was, well, actually probably not even from the stands, probably, well, from, yeah, probably from, from, from isolation. From quarantine. So, yeah, yeah so that was pretty disappointing. And obviously a huge week at the French Open. We've had the retirement of Ash Barty and Roger Federer from the tournament due to niggling injuries, the continual progression of unseeded players through the women's draw at Grand Slams. We've had a Russian doubles player accused of match fixing from a previous tournament. Mm. And Daniel Medvedev served volleying with an underarm serve on match point to Stefano Tsitsipas. <laughs> I mean, we'll aim to do a proper rundown of the French next week once Absolutely. the champions are crowned. But Absolutely. yeah, look, it's been an amazing tournament so far. How about yourself, Nath? Oh, mate, where do I start? Logan Paul's bling in the lead up to the Floyd Mayweather fight. Oh, the, Have you the, seen that? The, the Pokemon card. Pokemon it's $150,000. Yeah, I was feeling like 200, I think. That's ridiculous. Julio Jones has been traded to the Tennessee Titans to join Derrick Henry, which will make a very formidable offense. Aaron Rodgers skipped minicamp. That saga goes on. There were unruly fans throwing projectiles in the USA versus Mexico qualifying match. And that wasn't even the worst of it because during the broadcast, former professional player Uguchi Onyenwu threatened his female co-host, and I quote, I will come across this desk and choke you. There's just nothing funny about that. Yeah, no, not at all. But what caught my attention perhaps the most is David Lloyd saying that the test match between New Zealand and England was quite one of the worst test matches I've ever seen, and I've seen a lot. Doesn't really make much sense that quite one of the worst. <laughs> it's okay. still a big call though, isn't it? Uh, it is. I've yeah. got to say, Colin Grandholm's uh, mullet is looking pretty impressive. He yeah. certainly wasn't rocking that when he was here last time they played over here. That alone should be reason for it not to be quite one of the worst test <laughs> matches ever seen. Now, I know that uh, David Lloyd is married, but if he is ever single again, I can only assume that the dating platform he would use would be Tinder. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well done. Well done, sir. What'd you miss, mate? Well, I honestly didn't commit much time to the AFL this weekend. Uh, I'm really hoping to change that this weekend coming. I had a massive, massive week at work, though. Uh, I just needed time to sleep. That happens, honest. mate. It so, happens. It, happens. Uh, it was a smaller round, too. Yeah, which kind of helped a little bit. I saw a couple of the games, but not as much as I would have liked. How about yourself, Nath? Well, unfortunately, my girlfriend and I missed the start of Dreamtime at the P. We were really looking forward to the introductions and the fanfare, but we just didn't keep an eye on the clock. So we didn't switch it on until the second quarter, unfortunately. But uh, an interesting game of footy, that one. And how good, how good was Sir Douglas Nichols' round? Oh, all, fantastic. All around. Absolutely. Obviously, all of the, the, you know, the great Indigenous performances. The didgeridoo after every single goal, I thought, was sensational. Absolutely, yep. I mean, and the halftime act they had at Perth was really good too, the young the young band, so speaking then, in their native tongue. Obviously, the jerseys, we're massive fans of jerseys with that sort of thing. So, yep. yeah, it was uh, a massive success all round. And we will get to the AFL, but first, Shui, we're about to throw to an interview we did with the great Alex Loughton, who, of course, had an excellent professional basketball career in his own right. 
But our interview with him on Saturday was in his capacity as co-host of the podcast Talking Taipans. And I've got to say, in that vein, we thought we'd give a shout out to the greater NBL podcast community because it's a really strong one and one that is really supportive of one another, which is really nice in this age of angst and division. So in addition to the official NBL ones that they do, like the huddle and that sort of thing, there's the NBL Pocket Podcast, Hoops, Hops and Hogwash. Yeah, geez, if there's one thing that goes with basketball, it is beer. (laughs) Uh, The Cool Cats Corner. I mean, you've got NBL News Podcast, Hoops Heaven Basketball Huddle, the list goes on. It really does. So we'd certainly encourage our listeners who are NBL fans to really check out the wealth of great stuff that's out there if they haven't already. But here we go. Let's throw to the interview with Alex. Well, we're very pleased once again to have a excellent guest with us. He is a man who played over a decade, spanning three continents in the professional basketball sphere. But this week, we'll be talking about the NBL. A big special welcome to Alex Lutton. Hey, good day, guys. How you going? Well, good, mate. Yourself? Keeping all right? Yeah, yeah. Not too bad. Not too bad. Good to be back on the on the show, on the podcast. I hope you guys have been traveling well and uh, since I spoke to you last. Yeah, it feels like just yesterday, but three months have gone like that, so... Oh, three months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, mate, before we get into the NBL, we just kind of wanted to very quickly talk at the top about the whole Shyla Hill, uh, the, the heartbreaking circumstances with her WNBA career. It, it feels like it's potentially on pause before it's even really started. She was traded and then waived in the space of, what, an hour? Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Have you gone through anything similar, Anything? Yeah, any sort of insights on that that you might have? Well, it's an intriguing story. I mean, you know, if you go uh, so high up in the draft and then um, think a team would be getting or using up those high draft picks for sort of future, you're going to be developing uh, those those players. Uh, in this case, it seems like they expected production like straight away. They had two really high draft picks and they've waived both of them, you know, losing five straight. So there was obviously some heat coming. Um, her performance in particular, uh, you know, with only four games, two and a half turnovers, you know, in the game and, and only a couple of points, like they're sort of going, yeah, nah, it's not going to happen. But I mean, it's a pretty quick, <laughs> it's a pretty quick stint for them to make that kind of call. Uh, you, you get the feeling like there was there was a lot on the line and there's a lot of uh, very quick decisions made. Um, I, I've seen her play in person. She, no, she's unreal. Like she, she will be a star. Oh um, yeah, you know it's it's just a little a minor setback for now, but I mean, uh, it's just it's just a bit interesting the situation to be to be waived. You know, both both those uh, draft picks waived, traded. Um, they bring in someone who's only got three years experience or three more years experience in the WNBA uh, and a bit more, um, you know, a bit more of that uh, leadership sort of quality on the on the floor. Um, is really just experience, um, and then they yeah make the make the call to switch them out, and then uh, Dallas drops them. Uh, waves them so you know she's back to Sydney Uni Flames but um, yeah it, it kind of hit us pretty quick didn't it I, I I feel so terrible for her because I, I've seen her in person too she played here with the Lynx when she was only about 16 and even then she showed glimpses of, of real um, potential uh, but I think it's one of those issues where the GM's fighting with the coach the only problem is that it's the same bloke <laughs> he doesn't know what he's doing <laughs> And and that's such an interesting point because so often, as you mentioned, Alex, they're on that five-game losing streak. Quite often the heat will fall straight back onto the coach. And unfortunately, if it is the same person, well, obviously he's not going to fire himself. So the players are the ones that then end up falling on the sword. And, yeah, I mean, obviously the turnover situation was not ideal for her, but she's... She didn't have a training camp. Exactly. She's a rookie learning learning the league, learning the differences. Obviously the stuff in America, it, it moves a little bit faster than everywhere else in the world. That's why it is considered the top league. But, yeah, to to push it's, someone it's out... Not, it's not enough. It's not it's enough not. For, for, 
for, to make that call. So it, it makes me feel like there's something else sort of bubbling under the surface there. And and when, you know, a GM or the, the coaches, you know, they feel that heat, they're going to sort of make a move and then it's going to sort of point everyone's attention in that direction. Oh, that was the problem right there. That You know, those two players, oh, they're the problem. We'll, get, we'll change mm-hmm. them out. Don't worry. We've got this under control. We'll, we'll go in a different direction. Um, it's a, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't quite sit right. She's only, it, I don't think it's enough time to legitimately give her the due diligence of proving herself as well as finding her feet. Um, like you said, Jenny had the two trainings going in. She didn't get to the veteran camp because um, she, she was missing that, um, you know, coming off her other training. So, you know, she only just arrived, just got on the court and just got given the orders yeah. to move on. Yeah, oh, it's terrible. And then, and then wave. So, yeah, I, I, do feel, I do feel for her. I think um, a little bit of hard luck right there, a bit of a bad break. But like I said, I, I think as a player, you'd go like, what the heck just happened? I didn't even get a chance to get going here. Surely it's, you know, that's not the end that we'll see of Shyla Hill in the, in the WNBA for sure. And obviously such a huge blessing for her having Shane as a dad, someone who's been through similar sort of circumstances going across to America, you know, played with Minnesota, played with the Spurs uh, and and went through that same sort of thing with, you know, being cut. So I guess at least she's got the the support that she'll need in that, in that, you know, that situation. So yeah, it's uh, it's just it's crazy. I reckon, really I reckon Shane would, would have been having his coffee in the morning and picks up the, the paper and goes like the big spit take like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just got this. You know, uh, gets, on the, gets on the call. Hey, Shiloh, what the hell is this? She's like, I don't know, Dad. He's like, stuff that. Like, we're moving on. Like, what happened? You know? Like, yeah. I don't, uh, I don't think he'll be, he's not worried in the slightest. He just recognised it as a as a tough break at this stage, early stage of her career. I think, unfortunately, she got caught up in a win-now mode situation where they got Candace Parker, there were really high expectations, and the GM slash coach, who's the same guy, is under a lot of pressure, and he just wants to win now with players that, as you say, okay, maybe she's only been in the league three years, but three years' experience is still better than none as far as WNBA experience is concerned. So, yeah. but I'm yeah. sure I yeah. actually assumed that she would be joining the Opals in the at the Olympics, but I was told nicely on Twitter, which is a good thing because it's pretty rare that you're told nicely on Twitter. She wasn't going to make the squad because it was already full and there were already lots of other good WNBA players on there. So unfortunately, we probably won't even see her suit up at the Olympics, but I'm sure she'll yeah. be back on her feet real soon. Well, you've got you've got experienced players. Um, that, that's that's a definitely a situation where you need to win now in yeah. the Olympics. You've only got yeah. seven days to get it done. So, but I mean, long term prospect. You look at your trajectory of a lot of these young players. You know, within one or two, three years, they're, they're kind of they're really coming into form, and they're just a different a different level of athlete. But, and, and those selectors know that. That's why they 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 keep them on for those uh, those years and develop them, knowing that they that they've got the the ceiling is a is a huge. Uh, you know, well, they got a huge ceiling for themselves. So, you know, Olympics is right now. I get that. <laughs> uh, but make no mistake, Charlotte will be in an Opals uh, jersey uh, in the future for sure. Oh, absolutely. So last time we spoke back in February, Al, you reflected on last season and how it finished. You gave us some really fascinating insights into player contracts, the offseason, the NBL Cup, all sorts of juicy stuff. At time of recording, so just past 10 a.m. here in Perth, midday Eastern Standard on the 6th of June, the playoffs are set as far as the four is concerned, with just a couple of games left. We think we know the matchups. But first, we're interested in your thoughts on the big news of the Taipans firing of Mike Kelly. Yeah, look, I mean, it's a, I think it's a bit, a bit of a shock, the season. The, the season as a whole um, is probably a bit of a shock across the board from the NBL commentators to guys uh, watching from the sidelines like myself. And, um, you know, the, the players that were re-signed, I think, were pretty juicy, I think. 
Um, you know, the, the likes of Kwatnoi coming off a, an injury year, we sort of thought that there'd be a lot more production from from his sort of side of things. Uh, and then the, the story of Mojave King coming in as a next star, you know, we just saw LaMelo Ball just smash in the, in the NBA stuff. So we thought, do we get the same kind of player that's just going to take over the NBL? Um, the, the Josh Giddies of the world did, um, but Mojave Kings were on a different sort of a, a path that, that didn't produce early on. So very quickly, I think the Taipans found themselves in that, that fire in the basement kind of situation. And from there, like the, the players were, were kind of scrambling and, and trying to find out who they were without DJ Newbel, a second playmaker. Mm. And um, I think that was, it, when, it all, when it's all sort of said and done, for me, I think that's, that was the thing that really got exposed was that, you know, Machado needs a second wingman that can take the pressure off. And also, um, you know, the, the, the team needed a guy that could put the game on his back and go get it done um, and give Machado a rest uh, at both ends of the floor offensively. And defensively, and I think the, the result of this season for the Titans is really sort of clear how much we underestimated maybe DJ Newville's influence and on the game. Um, and what sort of transpired is, you know, close losses that turned into some some big, you know, big heavy losses. So their their up and down momentum um, was always below that that win loss sort of line. Uh, that that we all tread so finely in in professional sports. So ultimately, at the end of the day, um, the win loss column has made it a situation where the the club has fired the head coach and um, obviously pointing the the finger at, at that situation. It's a little bit. It can also be a little bit like the Shyla Hill sort of situation. There's there's got to be a bit of responsibility on both sides. So yeah, I think think there'll be a lot of reflection uh, at the end of the day. The club's going to be moving in that that different direction. Um, oh, was he hard done by, mate? Do you think? I mean, look, well, I mean, it, we're all judged on our performance. So like regardless of you know how nice and how nice a guy you are, or or how you know you, you know he he played with passion as a player. He coaches with passion. Um, he's sort of like that that Shiloh Hill in his just finding his feet. Uh, obviously, you know, in his third year, um, and the expectations were were really high, and, and the club felt like they put enough good players in front of him to build on last year. Um, the ultimate end of the day, the, there is no results there performance-wise. So, I mean, there's a lot of risk in assuming that Mojave King is just going to give you 12 points a game, 12 to 14 a game, as well as, you know, they would need Kuatnoi to step up his game and bring that 14 points uh, a game as opposed to 11 last year. So they were basically kind of, you know, they, 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 re- they got their stars back and that cancels out your, your Bryce Cotton and, your, um, and, and Mooney, uh, you know, for Wildcats. Like those, those two, like Machado and Oliver would cancel those two stars out. And then... Who is your next playmaker? Who is your mm. next guy that's going to give you production? And the way that the, this team, the Taipans team was set up, it was geared towards Kuatnoi Mojave King bringing that extra um, scoring punch. Now, that didn't happen. So then they're scrambling, trying to find a combination that works. And if Mojave King was not going to be aggressive when he's given those minutes early on, then he got sat on the bench. And then the commentary comes in, well, they're not playing Mojave King enough to 
get him acquainted, get him, get his feet under him because he can be a real, um, a real star, a real scoring machine. Um, as touted from the under 18s um, coaches and you know Adam Caporn, who was the Boomers coach who came up here in Cairns, you know he 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 knows that Mojave Kings are score and that's sort of that's what they've seen. It just it just didn't click in him as a player, Mojave King, until later on in the season where he did maybe find his feet and kind of um, relax into that role a bit. But all this stuff's happening at the start of the year when you need wins and you need momentum and you need to set your stamp on, uh, put your mark on the league. And they just weren't showing up in the win column. So um, I, there's a lot going on to kind of unpack in this thing. I guess um, there was the burden of expectation as well. A couple of bounces away from a grand final last, last year. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you, you, you spend more money, um, you know, to get to secure Machado and Oliver. You know, you probably, you probably spend twice as much as you did on those two players alone. You're spending twice as much this year as you did last year because, you know, Oliver came off that injury year for the, for the NBA team. Um, so, you know, he's, he's coming in as a, as a risk. Can he play? Can he not? The Taipans go, yep, we'll, we'll give it, we'll, we'll throw our money at that and give it a chance in the, in the hope that he comes good. Now he comes good. Now he's worth more because <laughs> he's proven yeah. himself again. <laughs> so, so then they pay more for him. Um, but then he, he really struggled this year. I know his family was back in the States um, and his wife is pregnant as well. And, and they're expecting a baby soon, but you know, we saw that he left, the uh, the team uh, about three two thirds of the way through that season, heading back to be with his family, um, you know, and support them. But obviously, emotionally, really struggled with this year, as as a lot of players did. Um, mm. You know, you, I'm not, not trying to find excuses for him. Every every year, every player will have adversity thrown at him, and it's to a man. It's up to that player to take care of their business off the court and not let it affect them on the court you, you you know i can't say what each of these players go through but i do know every player is going to face adversity either an injury or a family situation or just you know some things you know you, you do have to leave the team for you know a while and come back but the, the for the most part you've got to check all your issues at the door and not let it flow onto the court and i think uh, oliver um, you know, emotionally was was elsewhere, and he, you know, he brought that onto the floor. You could see it. The commentators were quick on his defense. He was sort of not on that front foot as he was the previous year. So his performance in terms of a team defensive, um, you know, lockdown kind of guy. You know, he was a bit lazy on his rotations at times. Had some awesome highlights, of course, um, but when you really look at the numbers of doing things consistently he wasn't there and you know i think that affected the team's performance as well um yeah i think yeah it's, it's almost a bit of a, a perfect storm i think of one the players not performing to the coach not having the ear of the players once they started uh, not getting wins it really really rattled them and they weren't able to rally a kind of solidified um, unit and you know figure it out so you know unfortunately uh, for you know, the club's going to make a decision to go in the in a different direction but I, I guess my question and may I throw it to you guys as well you know with the Mojave King situation versus let's say the Josh Giddy ultimate instant offense and performance you know did you guys see King being a good performer from the start or that was your expectation as well? I think personally, he did show some really great glimpses late in the season, and and I was, mm. I guess, going to going to talk about, yeah, very very quickly about how how different that season could have been for Cairns. As you mentioned, there were a number of one possession games 
you know, and losses for Cairns. There was that really great performance against the Phoenix late in the season that kind of showed what, what the players could do. And I actually was, I was talking to Nathan before we started recording, and, and I actually believe that Mojave King could be on a similar trajectory to Aditi Lazada, where he maybe doesn't get as much praise as he would in that first season. I mean, Lazada had a, had a great first season with the Kings, no two ways about it. But in the second season, there was a lot more hype about him. And, and we've seen he got taken across to play with the Pelicans. So I wonder whether King could potentially sort of piggyback off, off what he's done late in the season and, and perhaps go on a similar t- sort of trajectory to what Lazada did. Yeah, look, I, I think you get a couple of different style of players. You get self-motivating players, players that will be in the gym by themselves and work out. And they're, they're just that just so so autonomous and they're a dream to have that they'd be a coach's dream you don't even have to ask them to do anything um you know other players will follow like it's like the greyhounds they'll follow that rabbit because there's something to chase they'll they'll follow someone that's either doing the work or they'll you know they'll lock and trail and someone that's that's getting it done and they like what they're doing so they'll follow i think mojave king's the latter i think he's someone that is not a self-motivator. He's not a self-starter. He's not autonomous. You've got to really say we're doing this at this time, or we're, you know, we're, we're training here. We, we're developing you there for, you know, let's do another hour of shooting. Let's, you know, you've got to really push him. And but once you get him in that competitive environment, he goes for it because he is athletic and you know he loves to compete. Don't get me wrong, but but if you're talking about a development program, then that's a totally different mindset. What you're asking from coach, you're asking him to, um, you know, you know, have things in place that, um, that sort of handle those players that come in. You, you're asking for more time. You're asking him to, to have a mindset of development. Now, I don't know if that's what they told sort of Mike Kelly coming in that you've got to really devote extra time because we're a development program. Now, I think, They've given him players and he's he's tried to just, it's almost like a veterans, he's, he's probably more of a veterans kind of coach. Like last year, the players were the ones that kind of ran the show and he was able to steer them in the right direction. Um, and they were collectively as a unit, they were getting it done. I think this year it required a different, a totally different mindset. And maybe that's why the club's going, look, we are a development program. We do need a, to go in a different direction, someone that develops players and all that kind of stuff. So, and I don't know how much pressure is coming in from uh, the King's agent, you know, that kind of thing. Is there power in his in his camp saying, you know, dictating to the club, well, you need a different coach, otherwise I'm taking Mojave King away. I don't know if it's exactly like that, but Moldovan's his agent, uh, Mojave King's agent, and Moldovan has a lot of probably one-fifth of the whole NBL, about a lot of stars. Um, so, you know, he does have a bit of clout when he talks. But, um, yeah, look, I think there's a, there's sort of uh, – you don't know which sort of which way they're going. I think the club's trying to find their identity as well now moving forward. Um, because, you know, they're in a bit of a hole. Yeah, so there's been a bit of speculation Adam Ford might be the man that's tapped on the shoulder there. He was meant to be coming back to Perth after leaving Sydney, obviously, at season's end. But that'll that'll be interesting. I guess one of the silver linings or one of the highlights for the Cairns season has been the play of Nature Wire. He's almost turned the clock back 10 years, it feels like. Was that because Cam Oliver left or what, what do you put that down to? Oh, Nate's had a couple of big games this season already. I'm um, thinking of early win against Sydney. You know, I just remember him going for 20 and um, he got his juices going then. And um, uh, yeah, I think he's had glimpses even with the full squads. But certainly with you know Oliver vacating, there was there was available time uh, to to be had. And 
Um, you know, the big fella went in there and let the big fella eat. He was given the ball and he, he went to work. And that, that sort of self-fueled his, his, uh, his game you know, this season. So, you know, he certainly has turned out the clock a bit and he's been hungry, uh, hungry to perform. And, um, you know, I think, I think he played really well this season and, you know, on a two-year contract. So I think next year um, he'd be looking to follow in a similar uh, form as this year and it would certainly help out the club. So, Al, thank you so much for being so generous with your time once again. We might uh, leave you with your picks for the awards that will be upcoming. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I've got a bit of an eye on um, a couple of options. See if I can give you some some good insights for those uh, on sports bet. <laughs> <laughs> for me, Cotton's the MVP of the league this year. I think him individually has been uh, unbelievable and unstoppable. And I think he's played better this year than, than previous years in terms of his individual output. It could just be that him and between him and Mooney, obviously they're playing so well. Uh, and now without him, obviously it's a, it's a different, different kettle of fish. But I do think Cotton is the MVP of the league uh, this year. How do, what do you make of the Will Magne integration? Because it really hasn't quite gone to plan, has it? A lot of people are saying it's because he doesn't fit the flex offense, uh, but that's yep. a real worry too, and that could derail a potential Wildcats win in the series. Yeah, look, I, I think Magne going there was that was an interesting situation that Bill Bullets would allow that contract to be released and let that happen. Uh, that's a different that's a different uh, conversation altogether. But <laughs> yeah, I think it, it almost ended up being a bit of a, a lateral sort of move in the end. It, it wasn't it wasn't enhancing the, the cats at all. Really, it was just kind of replaced. You know, him going in there with Big Jervis and stuff like that. Like you know, sort of taking those minutes away and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, it, the flex offense isn't that complicated. Um, it's pretty fairly easy to learn, uh, but but has he found his sort of place and and being able to really enhance what they've got? It doesn't seem to be a necessary thing in the end. Do you think? Like, do you, do you think Mooney's you know Mooney's been more than capable of holding down all the all those um, the minutes and and production that he has? Um, yeah, it's it sort of hasn't really taken off like you you know like you think. So it is an interesting one. Has it been beneficial for them to have him there? All up, I, th- I think obviously you know he's a he's a talent, uh, and he's going to be protecting the rim. Uh, is it enough to get a championship without Cotton? I don't think so. No, and I, and I think that's the thing. I think without Cotton, the league has been robbed of what could have potentially been one of the greatest grand final series of all time. I think the Perth Melbourne United grand final would have been an absolute classic. Yeah, absolutely. It was uh, it was tantalising that by both those clubs, you know, head and shoulders above the rest of the league. That's that's what you want to see in in a championship uh, fight, and you know, the two heavyweights going at it. To me, Mooney's been absolutely excellent. I think he will make the NBA next season. Uh, I got the Cam Oliver one right, so hopefully I get this one. No, well, actually, no, kind of get, yeah, no, 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 you can get that one wrong. <laughs> we'll keep Mooney. But uh, it, it'll be interesting to see if Magne decides to stay if Mooney goes, because obviously his role would increase. I think theoretically you can play the two of them because Mooney does have range, whereas Magne can be in that dunker spot. But it just, I don't know why, but it just hasn't quite gelled, has it? Mm. No, I, and Mooney has been a revelation. I think a lot of bigs have gone over there and it's been a happy hunting ground with so much attention going to Cotton that he's found them on those receiver spots. He's he's kind of made them into household names. He's made the bigs into household names every single year. And then they've gone, sweet, well, I'm, I'm all that and I'm off, you know, Angus Brandt's out, out the door. Um, Kay's uh, moved on to better things. Mooney projected to NBA. He's certainly, you know, is he the, is he the same contributor without Cotton? I think I think he's a pretty good player, but 
just just the ability of Cotton to draw so much attention and then find those players and that, that team system really makes those bigs. seems to be a very healthy environment for them to become superstars. And it doesn't hurt when you've got a big man who shoots 50% plus from, from three as well. I mean, that helps. Absolutely, absolutely. Like, you've got to love a good stretch big. Uh, hey, the, the thing for me that gets him over the line in the NBA is his... Ability to play within a team system. He seems like a really great team guy. He'll defer to other guys when people hit praise on him. And he's just his professionalism. He, he almost seems mature beyond his years. He seems like a really professional guy that takes his job seriously. And I think it will do him the world of good in for the rest of his career. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's, it'd be a coach's dream, that, that professional attitude. They're hard to come by these days. Mm-hmm. You, grow, you find one that can contribute and perform on the floor uh, and be a solid uh, character off, off the floor. I think they're, uh, they're diamonds in the rough there um, and well worth holding on to. Rookie of the year, is anyone beating Josh Kitty? Uh, no, no, that would be a no and definitely no. But um, <laughs> I've yeah, enjoyed watching him uh, play and just exciting that the, the Lamello ball of last year is now an Aussie this year in Josh Giddy um, with all the excitement around um, the NBA draft uh, for him. And yeah, just can't wait to see it. And great for young eyes looking up to their stars in the NBL. Now they're, you know, they're looking up to the Aussie stars through and through. Uh, and it's a product of obviously a yeah, center of excellence as well. And tip of the cap to Adam Capon, coach there. Um, but yeah, a lot of young, really good players coming through and it's exciting to see. Vasilievich might have challenged him, but unfortunately that injury derailed his season. Oh, I know. He was exciting and so good. he was re- so good to watch early and and it was the guy that you wanted to, to uh, uh, cheer for because, you know, it was a bit of a, not an unknown, but, you know, he was behind those other players, those projected sort of stars in that, in that kind of uh, field. So he just took just took over games and it was exciting to watch. So, yeah, just, oh, man, it's crushed when I uh, had that, that injury set in. I, th- I dare say Justinian Jessup will probably be a second place. On- oh, yeah, he'd be up there, of course. Yeah, yeah, yep. Yep. yeah, absolutely. So I guess the uh, the next one, Coach of the Year, who have you got for that? Well, I mean, I, I know it's a veteran squad and, and I know that um, – makes things easier but I think the way Dean Vickerman's gone about their business um, I think he has to be uh, a look in for coach of the year um, take out minor premiers uh, premiership um, you steered you guys through and you know put together a real solid season I- I'm going with with Dean Vickerman on this one no love for Trev he still never won a coaching award mate and plus Melbourne played a lot of games at home in spite of the fact that Scotty Hobson said they were road warriors last week yeah, yeah, that was a faux pas for sure by Hobson. Yeah, Road Warriors uh, just 20 minutes down the road. Yeah. Uh, look, he's, got, he's got a very short memory, unfortunately. Yeah, look, I've seen Gleeson at Townsville uh, and I've seen Gleeson at Perth Wildcats. And uh, I'm sorry, but with Bryce Cotton there making things uh, as easy as it, as it looks, uh, I'm saying that the, the rest of the team is, well, is a well-drilled team, um, but I'm saying all the difference comes in with Bryce Cotton. Um, but... Yeah, I think I think Melbourne have done it a bit more by by committee and uh, the way they've gone about it. Um, I shouldn't discredit Gleeson. I do think he's he ticks so many boxes that go unnoticed um, with with a lot of other coaches, guys that are thorough and disciplined. Uh, I do actually rate that pretty highly. So I, I do tip my cap to, to Gleeson in that regard. Just each year, he, he continues to um, you know with the Wildcats team put them in the right spot. Uh, but I do think there's a lot of um, a, a lot can be said for what Cotton does for that 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 side over there. 
he's probably coach of the decade. And I dare say there's probably a better story every year than his story. But yeah, yeah. It, he just consistently does it every year. And it, it, you're right. He does have obviously the, the joy of having one of the greatest players the league's ever seen. But yeah, he... Uh, oh, and constantly. one of the greatest budgets. One of the greatest budgets. That yeah, yeah, it has to be true. <laughs> yeah, no, it has to. It's, um, it's true. Money talks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I mean, but I say the budget, you know, Melbourne and Sydney have similar budgets and haven't been able to get it done. Um, so, you know, that that's where, you know, I, I am envious, obviously, of that that side of turning those, um, you know, big teams into championships. So, yeah, it's definitely respect. For most improved, is there anyone outside of the conversation other than Sam Froling or Jordan Hunter? Um, I, I really like Jordan Hunter. I think he plays like uh, Paul Gasol. I think he looks like Paul Gasol. He does, uh, he does, yeah. He, he's got that, you know, he wears the, the shortest shorts. He's got that kind of elastic um, uh, way he moves about the floor. Um, yeah, it, it, yeah. I just it just reminds me of everything of Paul Gasol. So I'm like, yep, you know, he's a totally different uh, baller this year than um, you know the, the previous years but he certainly found his feet um, and I just I just like uh, the way he goes about his game he's um, yeah he's just been really uh, you know consummate professional and I just like his trajectory as well and I suppose the last one is the defensive player of the year we we're kind of looking at it before we we hit record and there's not really any of those really big sort of shot blockers anymore with the exception maybe Finn Delaney with New Zealand but it, it tends to be dominated more by the guards like the Mitch Nortons and and the Simons over in Illawarra so who, who have you got winning that? Look I, I do like um, Simon, Simon for Illawarra um, I saw him play a couple of times up here in Cairns um, and he, he really uh, he took it to a next level when the way he chased down guys uh, the way he'd send it into the stands and then salute the ball <laughs> watch, watch it go out of bounds I, I kind of like you, you know it's fun to see a guy take so much pride at that end yeah. uh, Norton's um, certainly so solid uh, as that you know new Damien Martin 2.0 um, coming in I think he kind of really locks into play as well so I, I am going with Simon just briefly on that one with the Taipans you know even Jordan Natai was you know yeah. put onto some of those tougher assignments as the taller guard I just thought um, you know not not in any conversation for a league defensive MVP at all but I just thought it was interesting from a Taipans point of view that um, they got a lot of value out of um, Natai for his defensive sort of uh, mindset as well and he was guarding guys like Bryce Cotton now Bryce Cotton did, I remember this one play you might have remember too he just did this pirouette on the three-point line and drew a, a, a three-point foul um and made the bucket from the from the 45 right in front of their bench uh to put the game out of submission here in the fourth quarter but you know Natai on Cotton uh, was was their go-to sort of mix but yeah Cotton still uh hit did Cotton such things so. look he, but, he could uh, he could get some defensive. votes for all all NBL defensive team he could potentially get some votes I know what you're saying he's a he's a great lockdown defender well, he loves a good three too yeah. not that that helps in the defensive player of the year state true no but he certainly proved himself as a player I think um you know where it could have been anywhere career-wise wasn't sure what was going to happen was brought to type ends late but um yeah I think he sort of earned himself a good couple of years uh, more in terms of the next contract for, for his career but sorry to digress a bit I, I do think Simon for Illawarra um, yeah it's probably my, my pick for um, defensive player of the year good call so I know you're a very humble man, so I'll make the plug that you weren't going to make. Check out Pikey and Lau's Talking Taipans. They'll be doing a post-mortem on the season in the next uh, week or so. Thank you so much for your time once again, Alex. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. Now, thanks, Nate. Thanks, Stu. All the best, guys. And uh, looking forward to uh, hearing the, uh, the podcast uh, when it comes out. 
Fantastic. Thanks so much, mate. Thanks again, buddy. Oh, Stewie, we had limited time for that one. And unfortunately, we thought we knew who would be the semi-finalists. But alas, Southeast Melbourne really blew it in that final game against Brisbane. and We had to know it was coming. Yeah. We had uh, to. We really did the old ass out of you and me and, and assumed, didn't we? Yeah. So we asked Alex to pick the Wildcats versus Phoenix and United versus Illawarra in thoughts that that would be the eventual outcome. But of course, it didn't happen. So we did have to cut that from there. But for the record, we have got in touch with him today. So Alex has Illawarra over Perth in three games and Melbourne United over the Phoenix in a sweep. And then in the grand final, he's got Melbourne beating Illawarra in four. What do you reckon? I have to say, I, I don't actually disagree with him. I, def, I do actually have Illawarra beating Perth in three. And I think, yeah, I, I can actually see Melbourne United and Southeast Melbourne going to going the distance. So I'll maybe go there. But I, yeah, I agree entirely. I, I think Melbourne United in the, the grand final against Illawarra in four as well. I have absolutely no faith in the Phoenix now. They really stumbled down the final stretch. So I've got United sweeping them 2-0. I think it's a shame there wasn't a Melbourne Derby in the grand final, but this is what it will be. There won't be any fans, so it'll be interesting. The Wildcats have a bit more faith in. Because we've got home court advantage, I think I'll pick the Wildcats in three, but I do expect the Melbourne United team to handle us pretty easily in the no, grand final. Fair enough. I think the the fact that it will be played in Sydney as opposed to being played in Melbourne, potentially yeah, that, that sort of neutral ground maybe gives the Phoenix a little bit of a boost. But Surely, though, playing the Wildcats without Cotton is preferable to playing United full strength, even if it is in a neutral. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I, they I, really blew it. I don't, yeah, I don't understand how that happened, but whatever. Speaking of things that we don't understand, uh, I don't understand why we forgot to ask him about sixth man of the year, <laughs> but yeah. we got in touch with him about that as well. He has Joe Luol Achul for sixth man of the year, which is a decent pick. I yeah, think. I can't go against that really. So Shui, round one of the NBA playoffs is now in the books. So I guess we'll finish off those series that were still outstanding when we recorded last. Philly and Washington ended in 4-1, a gentleman sweep as we discussed and as we expected. Yeah, geez, we couldn't have picked that any better, could yeah, we? Yeah, well, at least we got one. We <laughs> No, well, you got six and I got five. And, and hats off to you for Phoenix, and we will get there. I did, but, all, uh, I did all right. Yeah. I think really the only big talking point from this was the torn meniscus suffered by Joel and beating game four. Yeah, huge. That kind of looked like it might have kind of swayed the series a little bit back towards Washington, but Philly just had too much firepower. And how good was Seth Curry? 30 points in game five, 10 of 17 shooting. He averaged nearly 16 in the series mm, as well. And, very helpful. And this is what we expect. And people who have been listening to our podcast since last season would remember one of my bold predictions was that Seth Curry was going to have at least one big series. And it's about a year too late, but he's finally <laughs> starting to produce the sort of numbers we expected. Now, the one we got really wrong, Stewie, Atlanta absolutely smashed New York. And we did kind of predict it last week after getting the pick wrong before the series. Yeah. But wow, Trey Young, what a player, hey? Yeah, for me, this was probably the most shocking of the first round. It's not because of the result. I, I was not shocked at all that Atlanta won it. I'm sure you probably weren't either. But No, just, it was probably one of the harder series to pick. Yeah, I, th I think the big surprise for me was just how little fight New York actually put up. This was one of the best defensive teams all season, and Atlanta just carved them up in pretty much every game. And Randall picked a really bad time to have a few bad games. 
Yeah, and the thing is, on paper, if you just look at the at his numbers, I mean, he went from 24 points a game, 10 rebounds and 6 assists, to 18 points, 12 rebounds, 4 assists. Doesn't look that bad. But the shooting. But it's the shooting. 46% yeah. in the regular season down to 29.8%. Ouch. And he threw in 4.6 turnovers a game as mm. well. So, yeah, look, there were huge stretches of this series where Derek Rose looked like the best player on the Knicks team. There were even parts where Reggie Bullock looked like the best player. Which- you mean Reggie Bullock. Bullock, yes. The, the American oh, pronunciation. Goodness me, yeah. So, no, look, this was a little bit of a surprise. But, yeah, as you say, Trey Young was sensational. His control over every aspect of that series was just first rate, and especially for someone in their first playoff series. Yeah, absolutely. Very impressive. How's this? He became just the second NBA player in history to score 30 points in each of his first four career road games. The only other player, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in 1970. <laughs> yeah, that is impressive. Good company. That is impressive. The, the thing I find really impressive about him, though, is obviously everyone knows him for his three-point shooting. It's what he does when he gets into the paint. So his floater game is exceptional, and that is kind of becoming the new in thing, I guess, in the league. It's his fearlessness, too. Yeah. well, that's He loves the big moment. He, he loves the spotlight. He does. But I, I was going to say, aside from the floater, what I like is it's something that I, I always noticed with James Harden when he was playing with Clint Capella. Harden would get into the lane and it was so hard to pick when he was going to shoot that little floater or throw, or throw the, the alley-oop. Ah, okay. And Young seems to have mastered that in the exact same sort of way. He's thrown these beautiful on-point lobs to Capella and John Collins. So, yeah, they were working really well together. Speaking of Collins, 43% from three in that series, which mm. is very impressive. His extension on his jump shot out to that three-point range is very, very impressive. And then, obviously, they got a huge lift from the likes of Bogdanovich and Gallinari to a smaller extent. So, yeah, this was a, an impressive series from the Hawks. The Knicks got their one win. They celebrated like they'd won the championship, and then they didn't win another one. Correct. At Madison Square Garden. But they won Coach of the Year. They did. Yeah. Congratulations to Tibbs. We predicted it. So we're right on that one. Yep. I mean, Great no, effort. Yeah. No real shock. I mean, you've taken a team that's struggled, been, you know, perennial losers and t- turned them into the fourth best defensive team in the league, get them to the playoffs for the first time in what, eight years. They were sensational in the regular season. They were average in, mm, the, in the postseason. At they're, best. They're a young team though. But I tell you what. This could actually become the newer version of the Derrick Rose Bulls from 10 years ago. If well, that's because Tibbs like recycling old players. Yeah. Not only have they received second chances, they've all changed their style. Derrick Rose has got dreadies. I don't know what's going on with Bullock's hairstyle. Oh, uh, Nerlens Noel's hairstyle. Yeah. Um, Taj Gibson was wearing goggles. Yeah. They've all changed their look. Anyway. But that's an aside. Look, they'll be back next year. They'll be stronger. They've got experience now. Yeah. Again, as we picked, Brooklyn handled Boston in five games. Boston got that one game when Tatum had that big 50, as we talked about last week. Good pick from you, Nath. Yeah, well, yeah. Did well. Sometimes I get it right. This this was an unfair fight right from the start. And I I dare say everyone would would agree with that. Jason Tatum was never going to beat three superstars on his own. The supporting cast from Boston stunk aside from Marcus Smart. And to a lesser extent, surprisingly, Tristan Thompson nearly averaged a double-double. Yeah, yeah. Well, and do you know what, though? They've put up more of a fight without their second best player than what a full-strength Milwaukee has done so far against Brooklyn. Well, we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah, in a second, yeah. I think, funnily enough, the biggest talking point from this series is the off-court stuff. So it was announced that Danny Ainge would be stepping aside from his role. Yes, yeah. And handing the reins over to Brad Stevens. So essentially, Stevens got fired as coach and then got promoted, I guess. So it's it's a weird one. I mean, Ainge has obviously been 
really, really great in that role for the last, what, 20 years? He's been head of uh, basketball operations since 2003. So nearly 20, yeah. The only longer tenured basketball executives are Pop since 1994 and Pat Riley since 95. And the Celtics made the playoffs in 15 of those 18 seasons. The mm. second most behind the Spurs, who obviously only just started missing the playoffs recently. Yeah. So, yeah, very good. And, and the thing is, if you look back on Ainge's time there, obviously he was instrumental in getting the big three with Garnett, Allen and Pierce in, in with a little thanks to his friend Kevin McHale in Minnesota. Well look, get what you get. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well it wasn't a terrible trade. No. Al Jefferson wasn't a horrible player at that point. True. Yeah. But look, it got them a championship and then they were able to basically retool those players into a bazillion draft picks, which ended up being Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, amongst other players, Marcus Smart as well. So Look, he's done a great job, but it just seems like they were plateauing a little bit. Maybe time for a new direction. So I think given how badly the Kyrie experiment went, it's even more impressive that they kind of landed on their feet. And as I say, they took a game against Brooklyn and showed more against them than what Milwaukee have shown them. So. Yeah. I do wonder, though, if Brad Stevens regrets turning down that $70 million offer from the Indiana Hoosiers. <laughs> well, who knows? Maybe he saw the stress that coaches go through and decided that the front office was better for him. Potentially. So, yeah, new direction for Boston. Who knows who that will be, but time will tell. A lot of ex-players are being touted as a potential coach. So Chauncey Billups, Chauncey Billups yeah. is one of them. Jerry Stackhouse has done a really good job in the in the G League. So there's a number of names that could. Jason Kidd, there's a number of names. So I guess we'll do predictions. Brooklyn are playing Milwaukee, who wrapped up their first round by the time we recorded last week. Yeah. So I actually picked the Milwaukee Bucks, which looks really bad now. And look... Unfortunately, I didn't get to see any of the Milwaukee-Miami series because they didn't show it on ESPN. But the fact that they handled them in four games and that Miami were in the finals last year made me think, okay, this Milwaukee team's locked in. And I was still iffy about Brooklyn's defense. But bloody James Harden didn't even play in game two and they still smashed him. Yeah, look, I had Brooklyn in six, so I'm feeling... Pretty good. Well, I'm feeling okay about the team. I'm just not sure it'll get to six the way yeah, it's I know. going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, again, this was, for me, it was a weight of numbers superstar sort of thing, you know, them having that big three. And that lasted about 20 seconds, as you mentioned, you know, game one hard and doing the hamstring. But yeah, Durant and Irving, they've just looked next level. They're Mm. so in control right now. They're getting whatever they want. And it's like the game's going in slow motion for them. There was one move that Durant had where he was sort of facing up from the, the top of the keyway. And he's put a combination of about three or four different dribble moves in to get for a little up and under reverse layup. And I'm thinking he had all of about an inch of movement either side and he's getting blocked and he's just... Oh, he's just uh, a natural scorer. He's brilliant. And he's got a chip on his shoulder about Giannis as well. There's that Jay Williams story that came out recently and I tend to side with Jay Williams. Uh, he, He claims that... Durant said something to him about comparing him to Janus and he wasn't too happy with it. And Durant's come out and said, no, I didn't say it. I think he probably did. It was a burner account. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd have to say, though, one of the really, really cool things is how good Blake Griffin's looking right now. This is like circa 2012 Blake Griffin. Oh, I've got a great tweet about that, Stewie. Go for it. So Molly Morrison said, and I quote, I feel bad for the Pistons in regards to the Blake Griffin situation. Seeing your ex put way more effort into their next relationship than they ever did with you is tough. Yeah, well, yeah, that is that is absolutely perfect. And the thing is, we made mention of it a while back that Griffin didn't dunk for how long? Three years. About, I think. about three years. Yeah. Game two, he had this 
massive yeah, two hand putback. Yeah, it was lovely. It was like the ones that he had against the Lakers when he was playing for the Clippers. It's it's nuts. He's putting effort in on the defensive end. There was in game one, God, he was in no position. There was a rebound taken by Bobby Portis, and he's dived like headlong a good four or five feet to get his hand on a ball and force a jump ball. So, you know, these are little effort plays. These are the the things that he should be doing as a role player. But yeah, he's back dunking on people's heads. He's hitting threes now as well, like consistently. So yeah, all of a sudden, if Harden can come back potentially in the next round, should they get through? Oh, rest him. They're back for yeah. the big four, basically. Yeah. Well, it's- they've already got two games up. Yeah. Uh, you wonder if Milwaukee uh, got the yips mentally now. Well, yeah. I mean, Brooklyn's 39-point winning game too. That's actually a franchise record, oh, by the way. it's ridiculous. I think I heard somewhere that they were up by like 49 in They were. Game. They were. They were up by 24 at the half, and at one point in the fourth, they were up by 49. Yeah, I didn't get to watch that one because I was at work, but, jeez, uh, what a... Yeah, I, I decided not to watch it because <laughs> it was yeah. time management. That's fair enough. So we'll pick the other series quickly, Philly-Atlanta. I had Philly in six because of how good Trey Young has been. Well, and the supporting cast. I had Philly in six because I was worried about Joel and Embiid. That too, yes, that too. And and well, yeah. <laughs> has that been founded? A thirty-nine and a forty in the first two games, but Atlanta did take the first one, so the series is well and truly on at one all. And look, the good news for Philly is that Ben Simmons hasn't really played amazingly. I think he had three shots in game two. Yeah, he didn't do a lot on the offensive end today. I haven't seen the game yet because it was today. But I've looked at his defensive stats against Trey Young in game one, and they were pretty good. So yeah. I think he's pretty important on the defensive end. Oh, absolutely. And and obviously with Ben Simmons, the, the points don't matter anywhere near as much. But when you're taking three shots and all the guys off the bench are taking more than you and you are you know, the, one of the max guys, basically, it, yeah, I don't know. I just think he can do a bit more. Anyway. And not only he, but also Giannis in the other series in the East have yips at the free throw line, which is a theme. So we've had a theme of injuries. Yep. So many guys, which is really a shame. And this, there was an article today on ESPN about how bad the injuries have been this season and injuries to stars as well. We might look at that in the future. Mm. But the free throw shooting yips is another problem. And, and Luka Doncic has, has had them too. Which is a perfect segue into the Clippers and Dallas. And as we predicted after last week, the Clippers did win the series. Dallas did end up getting another game. And my hat is well and truly off to Luka Doncic because he was playing hurt. And he did a tremendous job. His numbers were magnificent. But again, Porzingis was terrible. And one man can't do it on his own, especially when he's injured. Yeah, I, I mean, massive missed opportunity for Dallas, just like last year, really. Two shots to beat the Clippers once and... As you said, such a subpar performance from Porzingis, which I predicted before the series. Yeah, yeah, yep. I said he should dominate that series. And what, 13 points, five rebounds in the series. That's terrible. And Carlisle made that great adjustment by bringing Boban into the starting five in game six. And it worked pretty well. He played quite well. And then he didn't play down the stretch. And down the stretch is where LA took the game away. And I've got to say, Kawhi Leonard was magnificent on both ends of the court. He hit, I think, three massive threes in that fourth quarter, at least two, but I think it was three. Played really good defense. They're looking scary now. I'll give you a a quick stat about Kawhi Leonard. He became just the fourth player in playoff history to score 45 points on 70% plus shooting while facing elimination. Wow. Joining LeBron James, Will Chamberlain, and Jamal Murray. So, yeah, he he went full cyborg, basically, which was ridiculous. I will just quickly go back to Luca because you mentioned obviously how well he played. I mean, how do you how do you sum up his performance? I'll, I'll give you one stat. I think that probably sums it up really well. I've got one too. 
He's the second guy with 45 or more points and 10 or more assists in a game seven, joining Kevin Johnson. And he now has five 40-point playoff games in just 13 Yeah, games. that's amazing. Two seasons. That's more than Damian Lillard, Carmelo Anthony, Tracy McGrady, Kyrie Irving, Paul Pierce, Ray Allen, Vince Carter, Tim Duncan, and Carl Malone. Mm. All of those guys have played at least 50 playoff games. Well, how's this? In game five, he scored or assisted on 31 out of the 37 baskets. Yep. That's dominant. That's ridiculous. That is ridiculous. But put simply, this series comes down to one thing. Kawhi Leonard had help. Luka Doncic didn't. Yeah, fair. Aside from Tim Hardaway, he played well. But Well, it's oh, it's good you said that because in that game six, Hardaway started so well and they went away from him. Yep. He didn't even see the ball down the stretch for a period after he'd hit some big threes. Yep. That's been a bit of a theme in these playoffs. It's really pissed me off, actually. You've got to feed the hot hand. Good. Rant. Oh. Go the rant. <laughs> uh, okay. Utah-Memphis, 4-1. Not all that surprising. We probably don't need to dwell on that too much, apart from the fact that Ja Morant was out of his skin. Look, it's the Donovan Mitchell effect. He misses game one. Memphis wins and plays the next four. Utah wins. But yeah, Memphis will be back. I mean, Morant, 30 points a game, eight assists in his first playoff series. On oh, nearly 50% shooting. And it's worth remembering that Jaron Jackson Jr. was massively underdone in this. He played 11 games all season. They will be back. Dylan Brooks was very impressive too. He was. John Morant scored 151 points and dished out 41 assists in his first five playoff games, making him the first player in NBA history with over 150 points and over 40 assists through their first five playoff games. That is amazing. Very impressive. And just quickly, I will mention the thing that I was most impressed with, 17 points, 13 rebounds, and three blocks a game for Rudy Gobert, getting him involved in the offense, which is really, really great to see. Mm. Denver-Portland, Denver ended up winning in six, four games to two uh, in pretty impressive fashion on the Portland home court. Just quickly before we get into this, should just mention Terry Stotts has done in Portland after nine seasons. Yes, He had a a great time there, but it kind of makes sense. The Blazers underachieved again. The players rarely get the the blame for this. I actually thought CJ McCollum and Yusuf Nurkic were pretty subpar in this series. They were, they were. Nurkic was a little bit banged up and and Jokic has his number, but he was subpar. And it was the fouls. I mean, he fouled out in three of the six games and they had to go small with Covington or play Ennis Cantor, who is basically a screen door. To put into perspective how important he was when he was on the floor, the Blazers plus 45 with Nurkic on the floor in the series, minus 53 with him off. Which made the fouls all the more important. Yep. And those final two games were really weird, weren't they? So unfortunately, we didn't get game five on ESPN. We did get game six, which was an absolute cracker. And full credit to Denver because they were down by a decent amount in the fourth on the road and came and pulled it through. So good on them. But how's this? So this was from Hardwood Paroxysm on Twitter. The Nuggets lost a game where Damian Lillard was one for 10 for 10 points and won a game where Damian Lillard had 55 points on 24 shots And by the way, he also had 10 assists and 12 threes. The only player to have ever done it in any NBA game playoff or regular season. Yeah, I was very fortunate to get to see that. I managed to find a site that was streaming it. Ah, uh, yes. All above board, of course. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) I was not watching that at work. No, it was was crazy. But as soon as they double teamed him, no one else could make plays. Mm. Simple as that. So, yeah. And now there's talk potentially that he could leave and go to Boston or LA. Yeah, that kind of bubbles up every now and then, doesn't it? Mm. We might return to that in the future. It'll be interesting. But for Denver, I mean, no real surprise. Michael Porter Jr. was the second guy without Jamal Murray being there. I'm a little surprised at Aaron Gordon's, I don't want to say lack of productivity, but 
you know, he's not really gone to a level there that I thought he would. He's only had uh, six, six rebounds a game and 13 points. It's yeah, like, it's I like, test. I test. I thought he's played. So I think I saw four of the six games in that series. And I test. He's played decent D. He's been he's been pretty good. It's it's the rebounding number. I'm like, yeah, surprised yeah. he's only averaging six a game, to yeah. be honest. But, okay. I mean, Jokic is averaging 10. It's it's the Jermichael Green off the bench is averaging about the same. Yeah, he, he's had some decent games. Yeah. yeah. But no, look, he can still lift and, you know, he'll be a, obviously a huge factor in the next round. And then we saved the biggest news for last. The Lakers are out after one round. Well done to you, picking Phoenix in six. Yeah, look, I had the foresight to see that Anthony Davis would get injured. Um, no. You mean uh, Street Clothes Davis. Street Clothes. Barkley <laughs> called him. Clothes. Or as I saw on Twitter, Data Davis. Oh, oh, that's the best. That is the best. But he, he actually tried to play in game five to do a bit of a Willis Reed. And I reckon it was the Charles Barkley effect. I don't reckon he should have suited up, no. but I reckon he, he was that worried about his reputation that he suited up. And he, well, he did nothing, didn't yeah, he? It was silly. The whole team did nothing. I mean, it was, it was a no contest after yeah. Davis went down. It was, I would actually say it was borderline stupid of him to play. But I think for me, obviously, a, a lot of the credit in this series will go to Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, and Chris Paul. Now, We've got to quickly mention Devin Booker, 47 points in game six, 15 of 22 from the field, eight of 10 threes. He was ridiculous. Oh, yeah. Yeah, incredible. Amazing first playoff series. But I want to talk about Cameron Payne quickly. Yes. So Cameron Payne wasn't even in the league last year. He was in China. And like as a Thunder fan, I always enjoyed watching him play for us, but he was really young, didn't have the maturity to run a second unit. He's like a whole different player now. Mm, mm. And when Chris Paul went down in game two, it looked like the series was probably going to be over. He comes in and has 19 points and seven assists. The Lakers end up leading the series 2-1, but Payne just played beautifully. Double figures in four of the six games. He was able to get into the paint. He could finish at the rim. He was shooting pretty well from deep. Those middle four games, a shade under 50% from the field and 45% from three mm. from your backup point The guard. Suns have been shooting very well all playoffs. They're in a really good streak at the moment. They, they really are. For the Lakers, though, yeah. I mean, as you mentioned, they're, you know, they're gone, which is surprising. But Dennis Schroeder turned down a massive contract and then had a donut. Yeah, 0 of 9 from yeah. the field. It, it's not looking good for him in the offseason. It's not. And I wonder if they move off him and Kyle Kuzma. I think they're going to have to make some changes, definitely. Yeah. They, need, they probably need some youth and athleticism. But, yeah, yeah. To look, to put this into perspective of how crazy this is, the Lakers became just the third defending champion to be eliminated in the first round on their home court in a seven-game series and just the fifth team overall. So it was a couple of others in a five-game series. And it's the first time a LeBron James team has lost in the first round. Yeah. Yep. That's huge. It is huge. That is huge. Yep. So I guess we, we, given we just talked about Phoenix, we'll, we'll talk about that series first. Denver and Phoenix, who you got? I got Phoenix winning this in seven. Now, I feel like the Phoenix role players are doing a little bit more than Denver's at the moment, outlined perfectly by a game-high 23 points from Mikel Bridges in game one. Yes. Interestingly, DeAndre Ayton played the exact same minutes as Nikola Jokic, and the Phoenix Suns were a plus 13 in those minutes. And in game one, the Suns became the first team to have three players with 20 points on 65% shooting in a playoff game since themselves in 1995 against the Rockets. Oh, no. And that was Booker, Bridges, and Ayton, as you mentioned. Yeah, look, I think Phoenix have got a really, really great mix of players. They've got great shooters. They've got really good athleticism on the wings. Obviously, they've got the the crafty veteran in Chris Paul who's been there and kind of knows what's going on. And a good coach, it's got to be said. Yeah, really good You know, coach. he would have been high on the shortlist for Coach of the Year. I would have had him a close second. Yeah, yep. to Tibbs. I think so, that's fair, yeah. yeah. Who have you got? 
I, I actually had Denver in six. I like to pick a team to win on their home floor. I'm kind of maybe auto-correcting a little bit after not having enough faith in them in, in round one. But Jokic, who, by the way, was named the MVP today, he was superb. Guys like Monty Morris has played well. Austin Rivers have played well. So I think the teams will match up well. I, I'm really interested in the Jokic versus Aiton matchup. So, I, yeah, so I had the Suns in six because partly also I was worried about Chris Paul's injury and Aiton got a bit banged up in the end of that Lakers series too. So that was kind of my logic behind picking Denver. I think if you're putting Austin Rivers and Monte Morris in the key players category, it's a, that's not a good sign. Oh, no. Well, no, they, they, <laughs> they, they've just stepped up. You yeah, know? No, and Will Barton's coming back in game two. Oh, so okay. Michael Porter Jr., similar thing like with Tim Hardaway Jr. I can't remember if it was, I think it was game six. He started superbly well. He was hitting threes. I think he hit five or six threes in the first quarter. Yeah. And then and then they just went away from him. Yeah. 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 No, we'll, anyway, they, yeah. I think it'll be a long series. Yeah. And then on the other side, the Clippers and Utah. Utah had a very close win today. I look forward to watching that one. Yep. I've picked Utah in seven in this one. It's two things for me. It's the Gobert factor in the middle. Uh, It's massive being able to limit the Clippers shots at the rim. And I think the advantage that Utah has with the altitude. So for people who don't know, the Vivint Arena where Utah plays, it's 4,000 feet above sea level. A lot of people talk about how it does impact the way that they they shoot the ball. Oh, yeah. yeah. Same with Denver, yeah. Yeah, same with Denver, exactly. So, And look, that's not to say that after Utah winning game one, that if the Clippers won the next four, I would be shocked. I absolutely would not be. But home court in Utah counts for a lot, and they were raucous today. Mm. And and Leonard and Paul didn't shoot too well, unfortunately, today. I saw Kennard played a pretty good game today. I think he only missed one shot in the end. So you what was he of one? No, he was like six <laughs> no, or seven or no, something. No, no, he, he yeah. actually has played a couple of yeah. Since you called them out for not playing him, so that's that's interesting. Good to see that Ty Lue's listening. Yes, indeed. Thank you, Ty. Yeah. I had the Clippers in six. It's not. Looking as good either. Well, you never know. But I just, I was just so impressed with the way, particularly Leonard, but but the way the Clippers played down the stretch. Morris has started hitting threes in the corner for them too. Yeah. So yeah, I, I hope this goes seven. I really do. Mm. So I guess after all of that, this is going to be the first time since 1998 that the NBA Finals won't feature the Spurs, Warriors, Heat, or Lakers. Five of the teams left. That's Utah, Phoenix, Denver, the Clippers, and Brooklyn have never won a championship. Atlanta hasn't won since they were in St. Louis in 1959. Milwaukee hasn't won since 1971 and Philly 1983. So none of the remaining teams have won a championship in either of our lifetimes. Yeah. Yeah. Good. New blood. So that is awesome. Yeah, it is. It really is. Long live the NBA. And now, what made Stu say bloody hell? Well, the bloody hell this week takes us back to last Tuesday and an incident involving the Serbian women's volleyball team. Now, during a game against Thailand, Serbian libero Sanja Djurjevic was seen pulling her eyelids apart to make a slant-eye gesture after one of the Thai players failed to convert a point. Terrible. Unfortunately for her, the cameras were focused on her at that exact moment. It sparked international outrage. As it should have. As it should. Djurjevic has apologised, saying, and I quote, I only wanted to address my teammates with the message, now we will start playing defence like them. Not sure why you wouldn't just say the words. That is terrible. It's a cop-out. I mean, that's, Wow. I didn't mean to disrespect anyone. Hmm, maybe don't make the, yeah, the gesture. That's, wow, wow. The apology was accepted by the Thailand players, but the apology by the Serbian team was even less sincere. We apologize sincerely to the Thailand team, people of Thailand and all of you affected by this, but please don't blow this out of proportion. Wow, jeez. Yeah. 
Oh. Sanja is aware of her mistake and she immediately apologized to the whole Taiwan team. She only wanted to show her teammates, let's start playing defense like them now. She didn't mean any disrespect. Wow. What the hell do you make of that? I hope they don't win another match. Mm. That's terrible. I mean, I've actually retweeted some stuff from the from those championships. There's been some really good points and stuff. Yeah, yeah no, that's terrible. That's that is horrendous. Horrendous. Don't blow this out of proportion. Oh. Yeah, don't blow casual racism out yeah, of proportion. Yeah, we did the wrong thing, but you're in the wrong for potentially blowing it out of proportion. That's terrible. To make things even worse, though, in 2017, when the Serbian team qualified for the 2018 FIVB Women's World Championships in Japan, the whole team posed for a photo doing the same gesture. Unbelievable. So it seems that the Serbians haven't actually learned their lesson on this. So for making an absolutely obscene gesture for the world to see, to Sanja Djurjevic, all I can say is, Djurjevola, bloody hell. Bloody hell. So a lot of interesting things going on in the AFL this round. Melbourne reminded us once again that we've overreacted to Brisbane being premiership favourites. Jamie Elliott had six goals on return as Collingwood finally won a game in Adelaide. West Coast finally won away from Perth against Carlton. <laughs> Jack Missy Higgins cost St Kilda a win against your Swans. Well, I've got something there. Aaron Norton, one goal, five. Tex Walker, two goals, six. And Higgins, one goal, six. Not a great week for Tex Walker after no. the $50,000 fine for photos and video of him not yes. wearing a mask yes, on a plane indeed. as well. Adelaide flouting the rules. Yeah, yeah. But I think the big talking point of the week has to be Dream time at the P. Yes, until the news today of Bucks, but we'll get to that in a sec as well. This is very true. But yeah, no, it was a a great, great success, Dream time at the P. Perth, we weren't surprised as locals, were we? No, well, I mean, we know what the stadium's capable of and people are starting to realise that it is just a slightly smaller version of the MCG. Yeah, and we love our sport here and we love our footy here. And contrary to popular belief over East, there are a lot of people that support teams other than the Eagles or Dockers in this place yeah myself included contrary to popular belief there's more than sixty thousand people in perth yes so yeah look it was an amazing spectacle and, and obviously the great light displays that they can put on at that stadium does such a great job in in displaying what they're doing obviously having the red yellow and black going around there was just another great part of the sir douglas nichols round and and you know, as, as you mentioned earlier the phenomenal job that they did with the entertainment with the, the guys playing the didgeridoo after every goal. It was just done so perfectly. And they used the Matagarrett Bridge for the long walk, the yes. Michael Long initiative. And apparently they it was more than 10,000 strong and the bridge was actually bending. Some yeah, people I heard it moved a bit, which is <laughs> yeah. interesting. <laughs> oh. but, but look, even you know, listening to Matthew Lloyd talking about how excited he was watching that and listening to the crowds and thinking, you know what, this really could be a great option should the MCG not be available for grand final day. Absolutely. Well, we said it last year. And we are biased, but, you know, is what it is. And look, you know, fair play to Richmond. That was It was a sensational game. Essendon pushed them hard once again. Yeah, hit the hit the lead in the fourth quarter. It was pretty crazy there for a second. I was thinking, oh, Essendon might win two in a row at Perth Stadium. Yep. But no, the Tigers ran over the top. Seven it, was, it was that classic petrol tickets game, wasn't it? Yes. Essendon used all those petrol tickets to get back and just get their nose in front. And then Richmond pretty much put them away. And, you know, we talk about it all the time. Every time Richmond win, we talk about this. It's the forward pressure. It's locking it inside forward 50. The, you could see the Essendon players starting to tire. And eventually, weight of numbers, it turns into goals. Bolton was an absolute highlight machine with marks and goals. Maybe a Chol showed why their depth is amazing. 
And the thing is, if you look at it, uh, this was a really great stat that I saw on Access All Areas. The last four years, so they were, after round 12, they were 5-0 and last year, 9-1 and the previous two years, and 8-3 and in 2017. Mm, they finish strong. They do. They are absolutely primed and ready to go, and I would not want to be playing them next week. <laughs> ah, dang it. Well, at least you're at home. Yeah. But on the back of this, just quickly, the rescheduling of the West Coast Richmond game, this makes no sense to me whatsoever. Firstly, when I heard that it was being done, I thought, okay, maybe they just don't want Richmond to have to stay in town longer than they, they need to. But Richmond were back on a flight to Sydney the day after the game or might have even been the night of the game. Yeah, it is It would be the day after. So there's no reason to bring this forward. It's not, yeah. not like they're, they're, quote, stuck in Perth. Yeah, yeah, you it's know? very bizarre. So... You know, this is this is a weird one. And obviously it annoys me even more because Brad Shepard got a concussion over the weekend and won't be able to play. So diminishes our back line even more. But but there are talks that after the bye, the Eagles have nearly everyone coming back. Well, so even though their injuries are bad, they'll they'll be all right in a few weeks. Thank you for giving me hope. Yes. Well, more hope than the poor Dockers <laughs> have in this town. Well, they yeah. had three on the bench at the end of the game last week, including no, five. They had no one on the bench. Well, I mean, three it? injured. Oh, right. I was yeah, going to say, yeah. I don't think they had anyone that could actually No, play. yeah, it was not good. Which is, yeah, it's tough. So a bit a bit light on AFL this week because we've had to be light on other sports at other times because of our interview, which was excellent once again. Yeah. And by the way, I actually encourage people to go back and listen to 38 the previous interview we did with Alex because he gave us some really interesting insights. Hmm. I guess the other big news, I think we'll come back to Bucks as that kind of unfolds because that's very fresh. That yes. only happened today. But the other big news was Adam Goods snubbing the Hall of Fame. Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting one. And look, to be honest, it's probably not something that I'm too surprised at. Obviously, there's been a lot of stuff that's come out from Adam Goods since he retired and, or since he was essentially pushed out of the game. It's really funny you say that because I heard Jared Waitley say today that he would have been surprised if he did accept it. Yeah, you can think of things like the Sex Pistols turning down the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, David Bowie and Stephen Hawking turning down a knighthood. But this is a, a very different story, obviously, and, and it's it's a very sad one. It is a sad one. And I actually rewatched the final quarter last night to kind of reacquaint myself with some of the specifics and it's a really moving documentary and it's done entirely from footage and interviews and that sort of thing. So there's no narration. We were robbed of at least an extra year of Adam Goods because he was booed mercilessly and some people will claim it wasn't racist. I think that's crazy to think that there wasn't some element of racism, but let's put it this way. There have been blokes that have shagged their teammate's wife, that have sexually assaulted women, that have beat up women or beat up people. None of them have been booed every time they touch the ball. Even, even players that go to another team, the boos for them might only last one game with their new team, maybe two. Yeah. It was absolutely unprecedented. It was terrible. It's a, it's, it's a really sad part of the AFL history. Call it what it is. It's, it's, it was ignorance. And I'm, I'm disappointed in myself to put my hand up and say that I was ignorant at the start of it all. And you know, I've been fortunate enough to have you as a good friend kind of talk me through parts of it because, yeah, I, I mean, I was one who at first kind of thought that he was just playing the victim card, but there's obviously has been so much more to it than just that. And one of the things was, oh, we're booing him because he stages for free kicks. Well, no one boosts the Selwood brothers every time they play. Or Rewall. And in the documentary, there's a really good point where on, I think it's Mangrook, one of the panellists say, well, okay, apparently everyone's booing him because of free kicks. He's had 11 after round 17. 
he was 169th in free kicks for yeah. that season yeah. at that point. So if he was staging, it wasn't working. The other thing was the 13-year-old girl. So a lot of the shock jocks were saying, oh, well, it's terrible what he did to that poor girl. And then they show the interview footage, the press conference that he does. It's something like eight or nine times he says, I don't want anyone to make this 13-year-old girl a victim. We should support this girl. It's not her fault. She's too young to understand. On so many occasions, he talked about how it wasn't about her as an individual. And he was articulate. He was patient. When you think about so many sports people that are just horrible human beings, it's it's a really, it's a blight on the history of the game. Yeah. And it's sad. And, and Yeah. And it's disappointing that anyone should ever have a reason to snub that. Mm. Now, obviously being in the Hall of Fame, it doesn't, it's just basically something on the resume. It doesn't make you a better or worse person. There's no real financial gain for it or anything like that. It just you go down as, quote, a legend of the game. And two Brownlow medals, two premierships, nearly 400 games, and he would have got there if he didn't retire because of all the booing. I mean, his credentials speak for themselves. Yeah, I don't think he needs HOF at the end of his name. No. So that wouldn't change anything. So, yeah, look, it's a really disappointing story. And and I guess if nothing else, if it does change a few people's opinions on certain things and, and makes people see things with slightly more open eyes, then I guess it's there is some good come of it. I will make one last point. The other thing that a lot of people had problems with was the war dance he did as a goal celebration against Carlton. He did that in Indigenous rounds. If you can't celebrate your Indigenous background in Indigenous rounds, when can you? The time he did point out the girl that unfortunately turned out to be 13. Again, it was Indigenous round. If you can't point out racism in Indigenous round, when can you? So... And it's funny, no other Indigenous player has been ridiculed or pointed out for doing their because there's so well, and but see, people use that as a reason to say that that's why it's about Adam as a person and not as an Aboriginal person. But mm. I mean, I'm sorry, but again, when you think of all the other indiscretions that a lot of other players have done that are way, way worse than pretending to throw a spear in a celebration dance and they never get booed, some of them are in the media in very high prominent positions that have done some pretty terrible things. No, look, obviously, you know, it's something that you're very passionate about as you know, as a Swan supporter and obviously as a supporter of, you know, human beings in general. Yes. Yeah, like if it's... this was Nick Natanui, if this was Jason Johannesson, if this was Mabia Chol, I would still have the exact same feelings. Yes. No, that's good. Yeah. And so, yeah, hopefully uh, we can see some some good positive changes coming from, obviously, the, the disappointing nature of all of this i think we are slowly improving as a society unfortunately it's at a glacial pace but you do feel a little bit heartened with things like Dreamtime at the p which was a great success yeah and then finally we haven't looked at this one yet stewie but we have to now taylor harris has been involved in a mega trade that's of almost nba proportions yeah look there's been a lot of talk about taylor harris's demands in the last couple of weeks you know is she really worth 150 grand a year like she's asking for which you know when you obviously compare that to what the, the men are making in their game it, it seems like a very small amount but um when you consider that she's making i think twenty eight thousand dollars as her salary in the in the previous season it's it's a big jump it is and she didn't perform spectacularly well which is something to consider yeah so but she's a great marketing person so well exactly so yeah a lot of teams were instantly put off by that number the melbourne demons were the team that made the move so they they traded for her sending jess dalpos to carlton 
Chloe Dalton and Katie Loins went to GWS Giants. But yeah, one of the big points coming out of all of this was the concern of losing one of the premier players in terms of, as you mentioned, she's a great mark, great contested mark as well, and has one of the longest kicks in the women's game. I love that 4 and 20 ad where she does that big kick and all the girls kind of marvel at her. And and that's... That's it. That Yeah, that sums it up. Yeah. And this is a time... She's when, a hero. And it's a time when development in the league is probably as important as it's ever been yep. for that very reason. So it's a, it's a really, really great time for her to be, again, used as kind of what the face of the league. I mean, she's someone who's obviously well-recognized. It's great that she's been able to find a home and she hasn't been lost to the world of boxing. All right, sure, you know what that music means. What are you amped for? I mean, I think I'm actually most amped for the Utah LA Clippers series in the NBA. Mm, yeah. We had an absolute beauty in game one. Hopefully, we'll get another six of those. Amen. In the AFL, look, I'm not overly confident with all the outs, but I'm keen to see how West Coast play against a Richmond team that seems to be flying right now. So that should be a cracker. Mm. How about yourself, Nath? Well, it's hard to go past the start of the NBL playoffs, Shui, the Melbourne Derby in one side of the draw, and then... The Battle of the Titans in the coaching world on the other side of the draw. Should be a cracking weekend of sport. Can't wait for it once again. Until next time, I'm Nathan. And I'm Stuart. We are the Sport Blokes.